0: Your team every day. It's the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. What's better than this? Guys being dudes.
1: What is up folks, welcome to another edition of the Draft Dudes Podcast. I am your solo host for the day, Kyle Krabs, Director of Scouting at NDT Scouting, NFL Draft Analyst for FanRag Sports, and uh, Joe Marino has the day off today. Uh, Joe is rounding third more quickly than Tim Tebow rounding third on his home run trot yesterday. Uh, <laughs> when it comes to finishing his uh, 2017 NFL Draft portfolio. So uh, we're going to let him really put the, the cherry on top there. And I'm going to take some questions on Twitter today. So we're going to do a question and answer. I have at least six of them lined up. If anybody comes through as we're recording, uh, gets me a good one on the spot. We can add in some goodies as well. Um, but before we get into a uh, question answer, I uh, would like to uh, take a moment and overview some of the stuff that went up on NDTScouting.com this past week because we had some really nice articles. Um, I put up my top five positional rankings at every position on April 5th, Wednesday, um, so that that's kind of a nice barometer to set that outlines at least... Uh, at least 65 players for you guys. I think we use uh, 13 position groups, So kind of get an idea of where I stand on uh, 65. Actually, I did a bonus. I did top six for one position group. So 66 players gives you an idea on where I think they, they stack it, at least uh, in tiers at positions. Uh, Elliot Christ, one of our national scouts has just you know, blown the damn doors off the thing. Uh, he talked about our Darius Stewart and Ryan Switzer and, uh, Cornerback scheme fits and safety scheme fits and Mike Williams and um, he likes his wide receivers he likes his his safety so uh, you know he's he did a really nice job making his case for Ryan Switzer as a really safe player or Darius Seward as a high upside guy and Mike Williams Elliot thinks his wide receiver one in this class so uh, all really sound arguments that he makes in that regard would highly suggest you guys swing over and uh, take a look. Uh, Scott Bischoff uh, talked about Leonard Fournette, uh, talked about the big picture and uh, some of his li- limitations and what he does really well. And uh, Everybody kind of has an opinion on Fournette and Scott kind of throws his hat into the ring and I think he gives a really fair and objective overview on what Fournette can and can't do. So uh, that's kind of been the week that was, you know, if, if you guys have been listening to Draft Dudes throughout the week, then you know we launched this website earlier in the week. It's been a really great response, really great uh, response from the, the premium membership side as well. A lot of people are really excited to get into what we're doing, uh, me and Joe, with the 12-month calendar for you guys. And uh, the public side with Elliot and Roger and Scott, that's all going to be 12 months as well. You know, We're never going to turn that switch off for you guys, so we're looking forward to really growing this site into something cool for you. Um, but that aside, uh, I have one... Note from yesterday's happenings, and I did write a short blurb about this as well. And it's Davis Webb. Um, Davis Webb continues to get that buzz. Is like, hey, Davis Webb might go late first round. Davis Webb might go thirty-three to Cleveland. And like you see it every year, right? Where like Tom Savage got puffed up for a little bit, and you laugh it off. It's like, yeah, okay, here we go. Uh, Just the big arm guy is going to get some love and then it dies down. And what has me nervous about Webb is with the other guys, when people latch on to a big arm guy, uh, Chris Bonner in 2014, Tom Savage in 2015, uh, there's like a two-week stretch where they're a guy and then they just disappear. And Davis Webb and the buzz around Davis Webb as a potential first-round guy just refuses to die and that's that scares me a little bit for fans of teams that need a quarterback because i don't know i like i mm. um if it keeps coming up if there's enough smoke it leads me to believe there's at least some fire here so uh cleveland 33 again you know maybe they they go defense with the first two picks and maybe Hugh Jackson really loves Davis Webb and, and they try and squat on him at 33 and maybe somebody knows that and trades up into the end of the first round to, to snag him and a lot of maybes. And I think a lot of people are going to be disappointed and surprised, maybe not even disappointed, surprised at the way the chips fall this year because uh, it seems like there's a lot of teams that have their thumb on players, um, uh, that people on the outside don't associate with being that value of a player. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see where that manifests itself and where Davis Webb ends up going. For me, he's an early day three passer, but I just can't shake the feeling that people keep coming back to this. I mean, Phil Savage tweeted out yesterday and said, "Yeah, man, this is this buzz is legit." You know, people I talk to in the NFL they say that he's the guy they want to work with. So. Phil's not not a breaking news guy. So for it to come from a source like that has you kind of raising your eyebrows and saying, okay, well, maybe there's something to this because what other reason would we continue? It's been like two months of talking about Davis Webb. Getting into question answer. Um, I have like I said, I have six lined up if we get any more good ones. Uh, we'll throw them in. Uh, the first one is from Philippe Bay. And he's asking about the possibility of Christian McCaffrey going into the top 10. He wants to know if it's a smokescreen or where he would fit better, Carolina or Cincinnati. Uh, McCaffrey, for me, he's a top 15 player on my board. I really like McCaffrey, but I have a hard time seeing a top 10 team picking Christian McCaffrey. Um... Now, I, I do think he's going to get stigmatized even at the NFL level in assessment uh, for what his strengths and weaknesses are. I don't think they're going to uh, – top ten teams are going to get eager about you know, him as a potential every-down player, every-down back. Um, I don't think he's somebody that you want to give the ball 20 times between the tackles. I think he can touch the ball 20 times a game, uh, receiving, outside zone plays, get him in space. Uh, he can run between the tackles. Uh, So if it were me, uh, I would give some consideration, but I don't think the NFL would. I think his probably, if I had to bet, his absolute ceiling, uh, based on what the cornerback situation looks like, is the Philadelphia Eagles at 14. Um, No, I think teams in the teens and 20s, I think you have a really good chance of seeing Christian McCaffrey go. But uh, for me... uh, both in my board and what I'm projecting, uh, what I expect the NFL to do, I think that's just a little too rich, in my opinion. Next question comes from Mr. Luke Donaldson. Luke is one of my favorite fans, uh, very interactive, a lot of questions, and he wants to know who's your least favorite big-name prospect. So Luke's going to turn this uh, this whole damn thing negative on me. i got to talk bad about somebody. Not necessarily low-ranking, but you... Just didn't like him when you watched him. Okay, so I would probably say Charles Harris. Um, you know, and, and I've gotten burned by Missouri pass rushers before. Uh, Marcus Golden is a guy that I missed pretty egregiously on. I think I had him in like 200 or something in my, my draft board the year that he came out, and he's been a very productive player at the next level. And um, Harris, for me, is just too, too wild, I guess. You know, and, and Missouri is very uh, embracing of that style of play where they, they let their guys off the leash and they say, hey, go cause havoc, get in the backfield, do your thing. And Harris has a nice spin move. He's got good burst off the line of scrimmage. Uh, he's got the frame you're looking for. But I don't see the mental side of the game with him, and that's concerning for me, especially at pass rush because uh, it's, it's a more advanced mental side than what you think it is, unless you have just dominating first-step speed, which Vic Beasley got away with at college, and uh, he had a down year, uh, not a down year, but um, a a developmental year his first year, and then had a very strong second-year campaign, uh, led the the league in sacks, I believe. So um, you have to have a plan, And, and Charles Harris has good but not great burst, In my opinion, Um, he doesn't have a lot of secondary moves. Uh, So if you're going to get enamored with his release and his production because they they just let him get totally off the rails and they say, hey man, go get it, um, then I'll let you take that risk before I take that risk. Harris, for me, is more of a a late day two potential prospect. Um, And actually the piece that I wrote for Sports that's coming out today is talking about uh, cheaper options. For prospects. And uh, Harris is one of those players where uh, the discussion you're talking about um, in the 20s, early second round, uh, I think you can get a player with a uh, comparable physical skill set and comparable issues in Terrell Basham from Ohio. Uh, good, not great burst off the line. When he really coils himself, he can get off and, and really get after people. And Basham. Um, He's another guy that he just doesn't trust his technique sometimes. But, but Basham, uh, when he lets himself just get, finish his pursuit angles, you see him finish a lot of plays. Very productive. He had 27.5 sacks uh, in his career at Ohio. So, uh, Luke, to answer your question, uh, big name prospect that I'm uh, not in favor of in comparison to the general consensus, I'd probably lean Charles Harris. Chris Coleman wants to know who are the best mid round three techs in this draft? I like Jaleel Johnson and Eddie Vanderdose asking for a friend hashtag Browns. Well, Chris, um, I think you asked the wrong guy. If your targets are Jaleel and Vanderdose, cause I don't think either one of them is especially strong at the three tech. Now Vanderdose has some penetration skills, but Jaleel is very much a squad at the point of attack kind of defender. Um, Johnson doesn't get a lot of push. He's very apt at shedding blocks and eating space. Uh, Vanderdoes is kind of the uh, penetration four tech or uh, four man front nose tackle. I think I think a one techs where he's going to get the most success. Um, but he kind of like Charles Harris a lot of his splash plays come at the expense of other plays in which he, he doesn't sustain his gap integrity. But if you're going to ask me about mid-round three techs, I think you got to start with Larry Ogunjobi out of Charlotte. Uh, I like him better than everybody not named Malik McDowell and, and uh, Chris Wormley on defense interior defensive linemen. Ogunjobi, uh, I think, brings a lot of smooth change of direction skills to be able to cross-face on blockers. Good first step. Uh, shows some nice polish with his hands. Um, you know, Charlotte bumped up the level of competition, so they got a chance to see him play some pretty strong competition throughout the course of his career. A- and looked very good in doing so. So, Jovi's probably my favorite. That Maybe round three? I don't think he'll get too much further than that. Another name that I really like uh, as a potential three-tech is Nas Jones from UNC. Uh, Jones... Uh, is an early enroll into the NFL draft this year. Uh, Redshirt junior, not necessarily the most productive player as far as his sack output. He only had five sacks in his career, uh, but he averaged over four tackles per game, and he had 22 tackles for loss in 22 career starts. Uh, big frame. He's 6'5", 304, uh over 34.5 inches on the arms, he ran just over 5'1". Uh, really like the flashes that he shows, but he's not consistent in winning at first contact and setting the line of scrimmage. Uh, if you can iron out some of the first contact issues with him and get him to squat and anchor, I think Nas Jones has the potential to be a pretty effective three-technique Um like the the movement skills that he brings to the table um other than that maybe maybe Dalvin Tomlinson if you're looking for a mid day three guy uh, I don't covet him as high as some other guys do uh, but he surprised me I thought he was much more of a space eater uh, off of my casual watches than when I actually sat down and watched him he's got some nice movement skills and uh, initial quickness at the line of scrimmage, getting out of his stance. So there's a couple names for you. Um, I know I'm not especially high on Caleb Brantley. I gave him uh, late day two, early day three value as well. Um, Jaleel Johnson for me is a, a day th- early day three target. Um, I just think he's kind of limited in what th- he can do. And as I said about Vanderdoze, uh, some of his splash plays, come at the expense of gap integrity and that bothers me a little bit. Ben Solak, who is a good friend of the draft dudes, I know he and Joe um are able to you know, kind of chat on a on a regular basis and bounce ideas off each other with the draft and um Ben has quickly become one of my favorite followers. Um he he's a smart kid, so highly recommend you guys check him out at, at Benjamin Solak S O L A K on Twitter. Um Ben wants to know if they both land in their ideal scheme fit. Who will be more productive in the NFL, Evan Ingram or David Njoku? And that is a hell of a question, Ben. Um Jeez. Uh I think Njoku has more opportunity as a red zone guy where Angrim has the opportunity for more splash plays. So I guess it comes down to, are you looking for touchdowns? Or are you looking for chunk plays? Um, geez. Um, I, I would say Njoku, I, my gut goes Njoku just cause I have him a little bit higher on the board, but they, I mean, they're very close. Uh, so if they both land in their ideal scheme fit, somebody that's going to play Evan Ingram flexed out a whole bu- a whole bunch, and um, Njoku's that, that mix of uh, middle of the field and red zone getting flexed out wide and getting isolated one-on-one and almost like um, what you see with Jimmy Graham um, when he was with New Orleans. Uh, I think that's the ceiling for somebody like David Njoku where Evan Ingram is... Uh, Big slot, big mismatch, and whether they flex a linebacker, a safety, or a nickel out, he's either too big, too fast, or too strong. So, um, apples to oranges, it's just uh, uh, what you're looking for and how you want to define production. Josh Davies has our next one, and he wants to know about Boise State running back Jeremy McNichols. Uh, Curious on where I think he'll land and and his inkling was third round with a question mark. Now, um, in a vacuum, in a normal draft class, I would say McNichols would, would be somebody that's probably targeted, uh, early day three. Now, I like McNichols. I like McNichols a whole lot as far as what he brings to the table, um, But I also like a whole bunch of running backs in this draft class, and that's what makes it complicated. McNichols, for me, actually scored a mid-day two uh, overall assessment output. Uh, But he's also running back eight, and I think you'll probably see uh, two, maybe three running backs, Cook, McCaffrey, Fournette go in the first round. Uh, Joe Mixon's probably going to be a very early runner, Day two target. Deonta Foreman, I like quite a bit. Alvin Kamara uh, as a jack of all trades style guy. And then you get down and it's really murky. You got a group of guys like uh, Wayne Goldman, uh, Curtis Samuel, Marlon Mack, McNichols Kareem Hunt, Brian Hill. All these guys are, are fairly close. Elijah McGuire, uh, as far as the overall outputs. And I think you're going to see those guys kind of get dropped. And McNichols is solid all around, but he doesn't have that defining trait. And I think that's going to hurt him in the actual draft in comparison to where I actually have him valued in that uh, if a team's going to target a guy on day two at the running back position in a class that's so frickin' stacked like this one is, he's got to have a definitive, he's going to bring that to the table for our team immediately. And McNichols, I'm not sure that he has that. So I, I would expect him to probably slip a little bit as a result of the depth of the class and him being a more well-rounded prospect without a blue-chip trait. And Noel Noel West has our last one. And he's asking a uh, nice little uh, Pittsburgh Steelers uh, banner here in the background of his Twitter profile, and he's asking about Tack McKinley. He's curious if Tack McKinley can fall to 30. Uh, seems like his stock has skyrocketed recently. And uh, Tack's one of those guys, he's he's the, uh, the embodiment of the, the media draft process where people discover Tack McKinley, and people get really excited about Tack McKinley, and then the red tape comes out on Tack, and everybody dies down and stops talking about Tack, and then people... Either rewatch the film, or they get all the red tape on all the other guys, and it's like, oh wait, Tack's pretty good. Maybe he's he's in this this category. Maybe he can get drafted in the twenties. And um, I like Tack. Uh, he's one of I think six pass rushers for me that populate a stretch in the board. That, and I'm not kidding. It's the third edge to the eighth edge. So there's. Two, four, six guys in that group are separated by 12 spots on my overall big board. And Tack is in that group with guys like T.J. Watt, Solomon Thomas, Derek Barnett, Taco Charlton, Derek Rivers, Tack McKinley. Um, it's going to come down to how comfortable a team is with his medical situation, um, which I cannot speak to. And you know stylistically, what they are looking for... In a pass rusher. And for Pittsburgh specifically. Um, I could see it. But I wouldn't bet on it. Uh, I, I would think they would rather have. Uh, somebody like Derek Rivers as a pass rusher. Uh, he kind of fits their profile a little more. At 6'4", 250. Versus tax. Uh, doesn't doesn't quite have the same length. Uh, and, and general size. He, he's Thicker at 266, uh, but he's only 6'2". Uh, Pittsburgh seems to really like those those big rush guys. Uh, James Harrison notwithstanding the guys that they have targeted the past uh, couple years with Jarvis Jones and now Bud Dupree. And Derek Rivers kind of fits that mold if he's there for me more than Tack McKinley, but I could certainly see Tack ending up being... Uh, On the board at 30, sure. I don't necessarily think he's a slam dunk to go in the top 25 or anything like that. Now, we've had a couple more questions come through. Um, Brandon wants to know who I think is the most underrated player in the draft. Well, I could talk about Oregon State offensive lineman Sean Harlow, who nobody knows who he is because he played at Oregon State. Uh, I think he's a very strong... Uh, left guard prospect in this class, I think Eddie Jackson's another name that people continue to sleep on because uh, he was hurt and missed the last half of the year so everybody forgets that he's around. Um, I still think people are a little low on T j Watt you know really loved his tape this year and uh, Watt was um, one of the the standout combine performers at the position showed he had more athleticism than a lot of people thought. And uh, people still kind of poo-poo them a little bit, and I i, I don't think they should. So uh, there's three names for you as far as underrated guys uh, that, in my opinion, I think are going to have successful careers, and I would target earlier than what they're in the conversation of being uh, held at currently in big media. Um, Jay wants to know, could you guys talk about how detractors will bring up Carl Lawson's injury history, yet completely ignore TJ Watts? Uh, to my knowledge, TJ's injury history is a knee procedure which caused him to miss a year, uh, and Carl Lawson's injury history includes a hip, an ACL, um, and a couple other smaller odds and ends that have hindered him throughout the course uh, of his career at Auburn. So, uh, I guess what's worrisome about Lawson's is the hip was really problematic, and then you also have a structural um, ligament tear, where Watt didn't have an ACL... Uh, so it's kind of an apples to oranges comparison. Um, but I don't think anybody should be glossing over anybody's um, medical issues. But at the same time, a lot of this stuff will leak. Now, not all of it you can trust. Uh, a lot of it is more uh, strategic releasing of information and uh, kind of the cat and mouse game. But well, Lawson's had a pretty substantial injury history where what? Um, He missed a season. Yeah, and that's that's concerning. Um, But I don't think the extensiveness of the injuries that he had and the seriousness of the injuries that he had is is quite as concerning as what Carl Lawson's is. And Kyle Fellows is going to have our last one. Who are some prospects you would project to outplay their athletic testing based on personal and football character and traits? Uh, John Allen is one right off the bat, I can already tell you. Um, Allen did not test favorably, and he tested average for an interior defensive lineman, uh, tested subpar uh, for an edge defender. I still like him as a base end to start and, and work him from there. Uh, let's see, scrolling through. Uh, Dalvin Cook is another one. He tested very unimpressive, but um, I think it people have kind of come back to earth on that and, and realized, okay, like... LaShawn McCoy, for example, who's another player that tested uh, similarly as far as uh, the athletic testing versus uh, the tape that he put on display at Pittsburgh, they win with foot quickness. They don't win with uh, explosive cuts and, and covering a lot of ground. It's more the step frequency that they're able to win with as compared to um, you know that sharp, steep jump cut that covers two yards of space and... Uh, jukes a guy out of his shoes that way. So it's more step frequency. Um, so so I think Allen and Cook, if you're looking at my top 25, are the two uh, obvious home run names uh, that really stand out. Um, just trying to see through the top 50 if there's anybody else that stands out. Not really. Uh, so so I guess John, John Allen and Dalvin Cook are certainly two that I think will outplay their Athletic testing, which both of those guys uh, tested in a historically speaking uh, perspective, is underwhelming and below average. So um, that is going to do it for Draft Dudes today. I am Kyle Krabs uh, signing off solo. Uh, Joe Marino will be back on Monday. And Joe Marino, when he is back and everybody hears from him next will have his 2017 NFL draft prospect portfolio finished. So, really looking forward to getting that out to you guys next week at ndtscouting.com as a reminder. Uh, my 2017 NFL draft prospectus is available at ndtscouting.com as part of our uh, premium subscription service. It's a 12-month service for $20. You get 12 months of exclusive content on the site which includes my 300-player prospectus, Joe's 300-player portfolio, an expansion pack for any guys that get drafted before the fifth round that we didn't cover in our work so far this year, Uh, in-depth draft recaps. uh, We're going to do senior assessments throughout the course of the summer. Uh, We'll have some inside beat stuff because we're taking a lot of trips in season, going to a lot of campuses and then we'll get into some analytics stuff in the winter months in build up to the combine before we have finalized reports for 2018 and start getting 2018 reports out so uh, really really transparent process we're excited to bring that to you guys and as I said at the top of the show uh, the the public side with Scott and Elliot And, Roger, that's not turning off either, so make sure you swing over to NDTScouting.com. You can find me on Twitter, at NDTScouting, pretty much any social media. If it has NDTScouting as the username, that's where you can find me. Uh, And I look forward to speaking with you all on Monday. We may have some guests next week. I know we're, we're chatting about some potential prospect guests for the show, so uh, keep your fingers crossed we can pull that off for you. I am Kyle Krabs. This is the Draft Dude Podcast. Enjoy your weekend, everybody.
0: Right now, join T-Mobile and get an unlimited family plan with Netflix included so you can watch in more places than ever before on your phone, tablet, or TV. Unlimited data on their network. Video streams at 480p. Small fraction of customers using over 50 gigs per month may have reduced speeds. If you cancel balances due. well-qualified customers, full price, 720 plus tax. Finance agreements required. Netflix for two screens. Terms apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the Fileo fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time.